This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Maggie. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest with us. Her name is Amanda Ang. And she is the founder of August Bespoke, a custom jewelry house which helps couples skip the cookie cutter experience of traditional stores and create one of a kind engagement rings to celebrate their love story. Amanda, welcome to the show. Yeah, Amanda, we're so happy to have you here. And we understand it's it's 1 a.m. in Singapore right now. So thank you for staying up and making the podcast with us. We really appreciate that. You know, Asian Hustle Network is international, right? So. Yes, we exactly. work across all time zones. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for being on this show with us today. You know, we will just jump right into it. Would love to know, you know, your background, you know, where you grew up, where you were born, and you know, what your family situation was like. You know, were they a very traditional Asian family, or you know, were they pretty much very laid back? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll start from the beginning. So I grew up in Singapore. I spent 18 years of my life here. I did public school all the way. Um, I would say I was like a typical Singaporean student, you know, went to the good school, studied really hard, got the A's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I graduated high school, I guess it was a little bit surprising because my parents expected me to go to college here. I think like most Asian parents, they kind of want you nearby, right? Mm-hmm. But um, I had a friend who had done like a summer program at UPenn one time or like it was like somewhere between a sophomore and junior year of high school. And he was like, Hey, you should think about applying to the U S I was like, I don't know. That's really far away. Right. We're literally (laughs) on the other side of the globe. But, um, he was so excited about it. I was like, all right. So in Singapore, we do the Cambridge A-level exams. Mm -hmm. So we had no like college guidance counselor the way that you guys have in the U S. So literally after I finished my British exams, I was like, okay, I have a week left before like the U S applications close. So let me get one of those books. Cause back in the day, um, we had like the U S news ranking, you know, there was this book with a thousand colleges. So I kind of flipped it. I was like, okay, common application. Uh, let me apply to a bunch of schools. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my, like, that's how I actually ended up in the U S funny enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think my dad is a person who is like quite open-minded. Um, I had actually gotten into a bunch of good schools. Actually, my dream school was UC Berkeley. I think that's a very Asian school in California, right? Um, and in Singapore, that's a famous school. So I think when I had gotten in, um, everybody just assumed, well, Amanda's going there. And in fact, I had assumed I was going there because mm-hmm. I guess in Asia, people care a lot about the name. Mm-hmm. But um, my dad's quite open-minded. So he was like, oh, let's go take a, a tour, like go see the other schools you went, you know, you got into. So we did a college tour. We started on the East Coast. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then I happened to see a school called Boston College, I, a school I got into. I, I didn't know anything about it. I checked out a common app. A friend had like had a cousin going there. So, mm-hmm. but I was super impressed when I got to the campus. They're very liberal art schools, very different from I think what people in Asia focus on, right? Because Berkeley had a very good uh, business school. Um, and Boston College is like a Jesuit um, college. They're very into uh, like developing you as a whole person. So I had a very good impression um, going there. And after a whole bunch of like tours, I was like, wow, this is a very different experience than what I would have imagined. But I said, okay, it's Berkeley, right? I mean, that's where you go. Um, but when I went to Berkeley uh, and I went to visit the campus, Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very different experience for me because it's a public school. They could care less if you're there. I remember going to the admissions office. I was like, hi, I'm here. I flew 24 hours to come and like register. And the woman in the <laughs> office was like, um, I'm sorry. Uh, hold on a second. Have, is your name in our database? And I said, no. I like, like I said, I flew 24 <laughs> hours to come register. And she's like, well, I'm sorry. Before your name's um on our list you don't exist to us and this is like quote unquote exactly what she said to me so i went back to the hotel started crying because for the first time in my life i thought hey you know i had this path right i was like an a student i got into this like good school and this is where i was supposed to be and in my heart i felt like there was something wrong with this whole situation because even when i left um you know how you do college tours and stuff like that yeah one of the tour guides was like not surprised at all by my experience. I was like, hey, this woman said this to me. He was like, well, if you want to be money coddled, you can go to Stanford. <laughs> I was just like, wow, okay. <laughs> uh, so, so that was the night where my dad, who's like quite open-minded, was like, oh, like you can choose any school you want. Yeah. And I think that was really like the first kind of unexpected decision I make. So I chose uh, to go to Boston College, which again, liberal arts school. Nobody knows it in Asia. I think it's more well known in the US, but um, so that's how I ended up. I went to undergrad um, at BC. I studied finance, which I guess is a very uh, safe major. <laughs> I actually studied finance in French, so that was like my side passion. You know, I, I discovered a love of languages, um, and then I started working on Wall Street. So I graduated in 2008, which was an interesting time to graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, you know, we talked about this. Definitely. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily for me, I got an internship on Wall Street um, in the summer of 2007. So I was interning when things were still good, right? When the, the interns would go on cruises and like networking events were really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, um, so after I graduated in 2008, I started uh, working at the Asia Equity Sales Desk. So my team was focused on basically launching um, IPOs from Asia into the u.s market so our clients would be like u.s hedge funds and all the institutional guys um looking at asia mm-hmm. so i was i was um working at goldman it was a great experience we can talk more about that i think it really was quite a uh life defining experience for a girl who came from a country like you know uh, halfway across the world to be working like with the serious guys on wall street i was like wow this is this is the big leagues, as they say, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So then I ended up working there for three years. Uh, at one point, my dad actually got sick, and I think this was the first point where I also had to do a little bit of like self reflection. Mm-hmm. Is this where my life is headed? You know, at that point, I had spent seven years in the U.S. 
And I think I remember um, one of the defining moments being that it was my dad's 60th birthday. But, you know, when you're working on Wall Street, I used to work like 5 a.m. to midnight every day because when Asia closes, the U.S. opens. So it's a crazy schedule. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember getting a call or actually, no, because no one could call me because I was too busy. I was like, guys, I have no life. I'm on my Blackberry. I'm I'm busy. So I get an email from my mom saying, hey, you forgot your dad's 60th birthday yesterday. So, which is terrible, right? This, this person that is like a huge figure in my life, I just was like, oh my goodness, I've been so down in the, you know, trenches doing my work that I forgot like the most important thing. So as at that point, you know, my dad got sick. He, he had kidney cancer, so he had a, like a tumor in his kidney. Mm-hmm. So I had that and then I forgot his birthday. And then I started um, reading the book, The Alchemist. I don't know if you guys have ever yeah, read it. Yeah, great book. Yeah, yeah. It's a great book. So it really changed my life. I, at that point, actually, I was surprised I even had time to read it because I was so busy working. But at that point, uh, we didn't have Wi-Fi on planes. So when I was flying from like Boston to back to New York after seeing a client, I bought a, I bought The Alchemist at the airport. I just started reading it on the plane. And wow. one of the lines said, um, one of the like reasons why people are afraid to chase their dreams is they're afraid that if they fail, they have nothing left. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And and that really hit me because I was like thinking, oh, is this is this it? Like, is this supposed to be my life? You know. So, right. at that point, um, I made a decision to move back to Singapore to move and spend some time with my dad. I actually did a bunch of world travels with him. We went to South Africa. You know, it's at that point where you sort of realize like life is really short mm-hmm. um, and you don't have a lot of time. So I moved back to Asia. I did a bunch of jobs. We can talk about that too. Um, and then eventually I found my own company. So that is... Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, you took the effort to fly halfway around the world and you went to the admissions office and they gave you that response. But honestly, I am not surprised either. I'm not I, surprised. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it's one of those things where why the US school system is so messed up a little bit because it's like you spend all this effort to, you know, go over there and, and make it known that you're here to, you know, go to school and get accepted yeah. and register. But it's more of like, good for you, you know? And what are you supposed to say to that, right? And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, inspired that you actually, it, wor- it, all, it all worked out for you, you know? And you took those experiences and you applied them to your own life and you were able to grow from them. And now look at you now, right? You have your own company. Um, so I just found that very inspirational. Yeah, it's very inspirational to hear that, you know, you started putting your family first after you realized like what's most important. Uh, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I used to be workaholic, work all the time, forget about everything <laughs> sort of guy. But at one point you just kind of look back and like, is this where I want my life to go? And this is, you know, you have this, this grand plan when you're younger and you follow that path and then you're like, okay, I'm going to get really good grades and we'll go to really good school I'm gonna work at one of the best companies in the world, but you don't look beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right? Once you once you achieve all those goals, what else is important to you? You know, yeah. that's when you start looking at the untraditional path. You know, how can I take control of my own life again? You know, you start yeah. reflecting really hard, and you start pursuing passions that you never think you pursue when you were younger. Mm-hmm. And you find that 
the most important thing in life is family and pursuing stuff that you actually feel passionate about. Yeah. Money is great. Like money is important. Don't get me wrong, but it's not everything. It's just a, in some ways, just a tool to get to where you need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like some people out there are so blinded by it that you know they create a lot of selfish thoughts. Like I can't help my peers. I can't help other people. And it's a very scarcity mindset. You wouldn't go that far with a scarcity mindset. You go a lot further with an open mindset and abundance mindset that everything in the world is, besides time, it's so abundant that you can help out people without worrying about anything. Because it's so ingrained in Asian culture that, you know, if I win, you have to lose. If you lose, I get to win. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case at all. The case is, like, your happiness will create more happiness, you know, and success is, is a journey really it's not a destination yeah i'm you know, sorry yeah sorry to hear about your your dad's experience no no i i i appreciate that actually it was it's interesting now that because you guys you know you started ahn to really support like the asian community now i look back and actually i was quite lucky because i worked on the asia desk mm-hmm. right at goldman in new york which was mm-hmm. like they're the best colleagues I've ever had. So I got very lucky right out of school, right, to have a team that really felt like family. And when I was going through this, like, personal crisis with my dad, you'd be surprised, like, that all these super senior partner people would take me into their office. And, right, some of the uh, – at that point, um, one of the partners on the U.S. equities desk is super senior. He took me into a room and he said, you know, like, just like what you said, Brian, like, you know, family is everything. You can have all the money in the world. And what is the point? Right. And, and other team members that I had also said, uh, like on a personal level that life is about much more than just this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, once you have the expensive mortgage and the Mercedes Benz, it's kind of hard to go back. So one-on-one is funny how they'll give you sort of the advice that they may not, you know, they, they look like super, like successful, happy, you know, um, on the outside, but you know, there is some, mm-hmm. uh, or they, they do when they think about it, go, you know, there's a trade-off to that life, right? Mm-hmm. There's a trade-off to that life. So, and I think I was quite lucky because my dad, um, actually said to me when he found out he was sick that like, don't regret things in life, mm-hmm. right? Like if there's something you want to do, go do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hadn't heard that up to that point because, you know, you're on a path, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that, that's really deep. And yeah. I absolutely agree. I, I live life, try not to regret a lot of things. You know, it <laughs> is, it is uh, very difficult to like, walk away from a very comfortable job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that you, complete, that you can understand from that perspective, too, because I'm pretty sure Goldman like, pays a lot and they're, they're known for doing that. Yeah. And to walk away from that and to enter into your business, you know, what was that transition like? And how did that conversation come about with your family? Uh, I think my mom was never really happy, to be honest. (laughs) I think my mother in her mind was like, oh, good. My daughter's like working in a Wall Street firm. Like she's Mm -hmm. fulfilling her life potential. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think when I left, um, because of my dad, she understood that aspect of it. But after that, I started um, doing a lot of things. Like, you know, I had that conversation where like, life is short, right? So mm-hmm. I, like, moved to Paris to study French for a year. Awesome. Um, I wanted to become a food writer. I just thought, okay, like, passion, right? I love food, travel, language. I became a food writer for a while. Like, 
Um, then I uh, decided to join a startup, really early stage startup. It was basically the predecessor to Airbnb experiences, right? So mm-hmm. this Japanese startup, I joined them when they were like five people. My mom, literally, I would come home and she would say, like, is this even a real job? Right. Like, do you even have health insurance? Like that was, that was on her mind. She wasn't thinking, Oh, that's so cool. You're like building this, mm-hmm. you know, company, like launching a new market and doing something from scratch. She was just like, you went from like Goldman, like to this, that was really what was on her mind. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that transition was, was hard for her to see and actually quite hard for me personally to hear. Like I, I think I spent a lot of my life trying to, you don't realize it, but at least for me now, as I'm older, I realize, oh, I think I was trying to prove something to them, like, um, you know, kind of show them that, hey, look, I'm like doing okay. So when your mom says to you, like, is this even a real job? I think there was a part of me that, I mean, I soldiered on, right? Because I'm like, this is what I wanted to do. And this was what I felt compelled to do. But if I were really honest with you guys, like at that point, it super hurts to hear your own mother say that. Mm-hmm. And I think to this day, uh, so I started my own jewelry company um, in a way thanks to her because my mom is a gemstone collector. She's passionate about it. So I've been around it my whole life. Mm-hmm. So the ironic thing is like, even though she loves the industry I'm in, there is a part of her that's still like, I bet you secretly wishes that I was not starting my own company. That was just like, you know, some fancy managing director somewhere. I think she is still traditional that way. My dad's very open-minded. He's like, life is about choice. Go ahead, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love but, it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I can totally relate too because when I left my engineering job, my parents didn't <laughs> talk to me for like six, seven months. <laughs> At all? <laughs> yeah. They're just so disappointed because they're like, you're so comfortable in your engineering job and you left it for uncertainty. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm unhappy. And they're like, what is unhappiness? What does it even mean? <laughs> you're, you're living yeah. the American dream. Like, we came over here to sacrifice for your for your life and to make sure that you have a lot of a lot of more opportunities than we did. And for you to just leave it out of blue because you're unhappy? What are you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. first of all, problems, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that also resonates with, with me and my parents too because, well, I still have my nine to five, but I'm you know, obviously starting that conversation with my parents about, you know, working on Asian Hustle Network full time, right? And they have this perception, like, how do you even make money like that? You know, Mm -hmm. how do you even make money with that type of company? Or like with other Asian entrepreneurs inside age, and I think that story resonates with a lot of our members, because, you know, our parents, they most a lot of them immigrated here from from Asia to the United States. And, you know, they did that to provide a better life for their children, right? And to make sure that they go to a stable job and, you know, they go to college, you know, go through the the safe route. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you tell them, like, I want to go through entrepreneurship, they oftentimes, they don't even know what that is, right? Mm -hmm. And they expect you to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or something very stable. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's very relatable to a lot of our age and members. Yeah. And so we'd love to know, you know, if we take it a step back, what was your experience like at, um, on Wall Street? And, you know, what, what, what was your experience like being, especially a, a member of minority and a woman in that industry as well? 
Uh, I would say it really was quite a life-defining moment. I mean, my first um, interaction with Wall Street started when I was a summer intern, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2007, I mean, Goldman was always famous for the summer internships, right? Um, and having gone through it myself, I will say that I understand why. Because the, the way that the um, summer internship is structured, at least for like the uh, securities division where I interned, was that... Um, there will be like 200 of the best and brightest, right? We're talking Harvard, Yale, Princeton. We're talking about like the cream of the crop yes. showing yeah. up on the first day. They give us, you know, back in the day, they, we had like a physical Facebook. So we had like literally, you know, um, our faces, our names in our schools, and they give us a name tag. Oh, wow. And the way the summer internship worked was it wasn't clear which desk was hiring. They would give you a list of desks, right? So during the 10-week internship, you're going to have three rotations. Um, but they would give you a list of desks, and they would basically say, we'll start you off and in your first desk. We'll, we'll put you somewhere. But your next two rotations are going to be up to you. Yeah. So it's kind of like a, the, the way they structured it is really to sort of test how you're able to network with new people um, and try to, in a very genuine and sincere way, be interested in their business, but at the same time, figure out, are you hiring or not, mm -hmm. right? Because they, so they would make it really opaque on purpose um, to make everybody sort of kind of uh, like deal with it, you know, on their own and just try to find their own way. It was purposefully unstructured. Right. So, um, and, and the other interesting thing about this internship is because we, I, like I said, we have name tag. So I would have like Amanda Boston College, any full-time employee at Goldman could stop me in the hall and be like, Hey, where do you think the price of gold is going next month? Wow. Right. So that, that would be one question or an MD can be like, Hey, Amanda, like pitch me a stop. Like as I'm walking in the hall and going to lunch, right? That yeah. so so because they have your name and your school, um, you they really are sort of looking at you from a 360 degree angle, wow. right? You're eating lunch when you're interacting with people or you're interacting with staff. Like wow. they know your summer intern, they know the firm is there to test you, um, and because they we're not we we didn't have our series seven, we couldn't actually get on the phone with clients. So the only way they would test us is also to give us like tasks, like hey, go get lunch for the 35 traders on the 50th floor. So getting lunch, right? I mean, it sounds like a simple thing, right? Go get lunch for 30 traders. We're talking about hungry like um, traders who all have specific requests. It's like they want dressing on the side. They want like chicken that's like fried, not grilled. Trying to get all those little details right would be how they would test you as interns. Like, yeah. can you get like the basic things right so that we can trust you with like a $100 million transaction down the line? Uh -huh. You know, so I would say it was it was a very, very interesting experience. I think, you know, having to sort of be on 24-7. I mean, we were working really early till really late. Um, anybody can quiz you about anything. We used to have these open meetings um, where they put 200 of us in a room. And then MD would come in. I swear it'd be like slow motion, like in a movie. He would flip. And you'd be like, Brian, please don't call my name, right? But he would, he would point to someone and it'd be like, hey, Brian. And then Brian would have to stand up and say his name and his school. And the MD would ask him, yeah, like pitch me a stock. And if you didn't know the answer or like he said, okay, what's the price of like gold today? And you didn't know the answer. You'd have to say, 
I don't know, but I will find out and I'll be back. So then Brian would have to leave the auditorium in front of 200 of the fellow interns, go ask someone because we didn't have desks, right? Interns don't have desks. So you got to use your social skills to then go ask a trader to let you borrow his Bloomberg terminal to go find the answer and then come back and say, um, Mr. MD partner, I have the answer. And then like announce it to everyone. That's just kind of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Brian will like it. But again, these are all just examples to show you that like at the end of 10 weeks, the kind of, I guess, people that you become, Mm -hmm. you know, we're very different, I think, from at the beginning, you know, we're all like bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, you know, and then you you sort of go through the ringer and then you realize, oh, okay, like, if I, it's not really about always knowing the answer, it's about being able to find out, right? So there are a lot of like life lessons that I think uh, they taught me that, you know, a lot of, even my fellow analysts who started with me will say that we take to this day, you know, things like Goldman's all about like under promise over deliver, right? So that's like kind of, you know, drilled into our brain. So I would say that it was a very formative um, few years <laughs> of my life. I, I like that too, because I like how if you don't know something, you, just, you have to go find an answer. And that's very much yeah. how the engineering culture works as well. It's like yeah. none of us knows everything about coding and structures and everything but we know that we can google ev- anything and everything <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. yeah and as nerve-wracking as that sounds to me personally i think you know the whole purpose of that is just to go outside of your comfort zone yeah you know? and you really broke my perception too because for me and i don't know maybe it's just like our generation kind of think that Maybe the U.S. people are a little bit entitled in some ways. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, I had to go get you lunch. What? What am I a slave? Yeah. <laughs> you know. But oh. yeah, your perception is like, oh yeah, yeah. like it's how if you do the, the small things, how you do every everything else. You know, yeah. I never really thought it from that point of view. So you really like enlighten me in that side. For me, it's like, oh, get lunch. What am I a slave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, we have a lot of people in America who think that way too. Like, oh, I have to get your coffee. Like, what am I? You know, I, I I'm not. I'm not going to stoop down to that level, you mm-hmm. know, but I think that's a really good perception. You know, if you can apply those same, you know, basic tactics and, uh, you know, make sure that you're diligent in your, in your work, especially, or even like getting lunch for the traders, right? Mm-hmm. If you can do that right, then you will apply those same habits to everything else in life. It kind of reminds me how the U.S. military kind of works. Um, so when you wake up, you kind of make you do your bed. And you do mm-hmm. you make your bed. If you make one thing right, it's how you do everything right and creates that one habit for you mm-hmm. that's very, you know, applicable to a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So it really reminded me of that that sense. But yeah, I think of- that the key thing about that is also like attitude. And I don't I, I feel like that's something that yeah, you know, as I've hired like interns and people yeah. through the years, it's like I kinda wish that or I feel like like later on, as I was hiring people in like multiple years after Wall Street, I felt like I was almost pitching their job to them. Yeah. So like when I hire you, it's like I have to constantly pitch your job to you. Versus mm-hmm. when I was starting out, we were grateful to have jobs and we were like, what can we do? Lunch, coffee. And, and, and I don't know if it's just like a generational thing. I don't know if it was during a crisis, but I did feel my entire analyst class, we were like, give us something to do to prove you know what i mean and in fact we didn't need to be told what to do we'd be like let's take the initiative to go and do it yeah Mm -hmm. so you know what i mean so it's attitude right it's like how you choose to 
like uh, look at look at a task. Yeah, yeah I also definitely. think that during crisis too, it's like oh eight, oh nine, two thousand ten. It's really hard to find a job. Oh god, I can't lose this one. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, definitely went through that one as well. Yeah, um, I'm kind of curious. Oh yeah, go ahead. I also wanted to point out that you know Brian mentioned um, a lot of people feel entitled, right? And that's a really big problem because we have the opportunity to work and you know make money and learn from those experiences. But a lot of people actually are really entitled, like, oh, I'm so ungrateful for my job, you know. But I never heard you once say that you had a bad experience on Wall Street and you were able to really appreciate your experiences there and learn from them. That's all attitude right there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure attitude. it's not all rosy and rainbow. Yeah, yeah. You had but, your bad days. But you never once said anything bad about your experience there. So. Yeah. I'm grateful. I think that's that's the thing. If I look back on it, I feel I'm just nothing but grateful, right? For an international girl, like, you know, I I went to a new country, went through college, and then here I am working on Wall Street with these, like, you know, people that I was, like, looking up to, so smart. You know, people at Goldman so smart, so team-oriented. Again, I got lucky. I don't I can't speak for every team, every division, but you know, I just had people that were just so not just like smart, but actually kind and nice and, you know, really treated me like family. My boss treated me like family. You know, when my parents came to town, the entire team went out with my parents, wow. which, you know, not all, I think colleagues in the U.S. would do that, right? Yeah. Go to, you know, with your parents. So yeah. I think I was yeah. very lucky. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome yeah. to hear. And Let's dive into your business now, mm -hmm. you know, can you kind of walk us through like how your business works or, yeah. you know, just all the operational stuff behind it. Cause we're kind of curious too, because as you mentioned before, like you're like leveraging the pandemic and doing everything online and oh. pretty life, pretty big purchases, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me tell you a story about how I got started. Okay. How I started a jewelry company, right? How I went from like wall street to <laughs> jewelry. Um, <laughs> So, so like I mentioned to you guys, my mom uh, is a gemstone collector. She's, you know, she actually used to be um, a flight attendant, like for Singapore Airlines back in the day. So in like, I think the 70s, she used to travel, which back in the day, people didn't used to travel. Like our parents' generation, it wasn't easy for them, right? So she started collecting. And so when I was growing up, she would always like quiz me on the four seas of diamonds and like just be showing me stuff. She's just a collector, right? So I just go with her and everything. And so at one point, you know, after I... Um, moved back to Singapore. I was like working in startups and everything. And after our startup got acquired, a lot of my friends started getting um, engaged. Like that was the time where we were getting married. And so people would know my background and then I would kind of be like the secret detective. I'd go with them to stores. Mm -hmm. um, I would help them do research because, you know, the guys, they, they can't tell that many people, but they want someone to kind of give them a second opinion. Mm -hmm. So I would do the research with them like online and offline and and then I realized, like, wow, like, the jewelry industry, like, does not make the experience easy for a customer. Yeah. Right. So anybody listening, if you've ever bought a diamond ring, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So you walk into a store and you kind of feel like, whoa, there's a lot of stress here, right? They're judging you. How much money are you going to spend? Yeah. Then the store, like, the structure of the, the industry is such that they basically take out loans to buy inventory to then put mm -hmm. in the store and then hopefully get you to buy as you come in, yeah. right? So they jack up the price and they put a huge discount and they go, look, this is on sale, buy this. Yeah. So all of that just makes you feel like um, this is, they're not completely neutral. Basically, if you want to get your fiance something or your girlfriend something, 
you don't really have neutral advice because everybody's incentivized to sell you something, right? Yeah. Bloggers are, you, you know, making money off of affiliate links, right? Big brands are, uh, they have a crazy markup, you know, and, and jewelry stores just want to sell you what they have. So at the end of the day, I felt like there needed to be a different way to go through this process that was more meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I started August Bespoke, right? And, and, and we're different from other jewelry companies in that I actually have no inventory. So I tell my clients, I'm literally aligning my interest with yours. I don't actually care what you buy, but because I'm certified in diamonds and gemstones by GIA or Gemological Institute of America. So mm-hmm. I've studied these things. I grew up with them. So my job is to give you all the information that you need to make the best decision for you. Cause what's br- uh, right for Brian may not be right for Maggie. You know what I mean? So if you're two different people, I'm going to give you different advice. Yeah. Um, but if you go and read stuff online on Google, like if you're trying to say, okay, should I buy A or B? Like 500 people will say buy A and 500 people will say buy B. And then in the end, you're like more confused than when you yeah. started, you know? So, so I, I wanted to start a company that was very personal, um, that, really like makes one of a kind things for our couples and our clients you know I've always been into I think making people happy is why I've always been in sales I guess my whole life Mm -hmm. um and that part has been really rewarding you know um so Brian I think your question to me was also how like this whole pandemic has affected Mm -hmm. me so I'm lucky in the sense that I have a very lean business model right I don't have any fixed costs that's why I tell my clients also that when you create jewelry with me you're not putting it into anything else but your jewelry you know um so i started doing a lot of um online classes now instead of meeting clients one-on-one the pandemic actually sort of pushed me to get online and teach classes teach people how to buy an engagement which i used to do one-on-one so in a way i guess it's i've been very again i'm very lucky right um it's it's pushed me to do things i step out of my own comfort zone um, and get online and, and teach and then actually reach out to people that way. Um, mm-hmm. And Brian, you'd be surprised, like most of my clients actually don't see me like uh-huh. ever because some my clients are all over the world, right? They find me on Instagram um, or they're referred by a friend. And so the whole process is done remotely. So I have a phone call with them, right? I try to understand what it is that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And I have workshops everywhere. I have workshops in Singapore, Hong Kong, Chicago, right? So it, I can make jewelry and ship it to you anywhere. Like mm-hmm. if, you're in, if you're in the U.S., I can ship it to you. So in that sense, um, it's, a, it's a very wonderful business because I, I, I mean, unfortunately, I don't get to travel to see them. In the past, I have traveled to see clients, you know, but um, mm-hmm. nowadays people are so comfortable sitting at home looking <laughs> at diamonds because now like my diamond cutters, we actually shoot our diamonds at 20 times magnification. I tell my clients, it's actually better to see it in a video on your phone where you can rotate it with your finger mm-hmm. than struggling going into a store, right? Because that's also part of the tactic. They give you tweezers and they give you a loose diamond and you're struggling because it's like this tiny thing. You're like, oh my God, I don't want to drop it. And they're expecting you to look at it like, like someone like I would. That's right. not possible. So nowadays, technology has actually made the process so much easier, mm-hmm. right? What you do need, though, is like a person who is knowledgeable and like actually knows the stuff to actually tell you what's the difference between like A and B, right? Because a lot of these, um, a lot of my online competitors, um, they just dump sort of like a huge list of things for you to basically sort through on your own. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, good luck, mm-hmm. you know? And, and because 
usually for guys at least like the people or at least the people proposing um this is the first time you're buying fine jewelry for the person you're proposing to right you've never had to maybe buy her uh like brian you've never bought maggie's clothes have you like i tried okay sometimes too big sometimes too small <laughs> okay okay so so there there you go right because because we're talking about styles so like if you've never bought anything for your partner, like fashion wise, her shoes, clothes, somehow you're expected to get the one thing that she's going to wear on her finger for the every day for the rest of her life. You're supposed to guess that yeah. perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's so much you know? pressure for the guy too. Cause you get judged. It's just like, it looks kind of weird. If it's too small. It's too big. That's why I send him <laughs> pictures of exactly what I want. So he can't mess it up, you know? So, so that's a very 2020 dynamic. Actually, I help a lot of couples now where just the women are involved. They're like, I don't trust him. I'm like, this is a much better, this is going to lead to a much better outcome. Trust me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or get a ring knock, you still return. <laughs> the other thing I will say that's interesting about the jewelry industry, at least for me coming into it, was how like everybody in the jewelry industry is a man. Like it's, it's yeah. shocking because I, I would go to industry events and everyone was a man and everyone was like 60 or above. So they would look at me and they would think I was one of the Chinese sales girls like Mm. at the fair. And I'm like, no, I'm here to like buy diamonds for clients. So they would be like, huh? Because I'm I'm a Chinese woman and I'm young. So they're just like confused. Yeah. So for me, because I believe in like entrepreneurship for women so I there's also a part of me that feels very passionate about that because jewelry ultimately like women enjoy jewelry right Maggie you're with me so I do, I do. <laughs> so, so so why is a 65 year old man giving a young guy advice about what Maggie wants I was like I feel like that should be me yeah you know mm-hmm. so that's one of the I guess my motivations too for like building a, a business in an industry dominated by men yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah I notice that too like every time I go into a jewelry store it's always a man approaching me I get hustled and, by them pretty hard yeah and I don't know why it's <laughs> mostly men and maybe you have more insight to this but maybe it's because they are just more persuasive I would say or I don't know <laughs> I feel like the like jewelry industry Okay, guys, I love you. If you're in the jewelry industry, like <laughs> I love you. But but it is a little bit of an old boys club. Mm. Not even a little bit, like quite like an old boys club. Right. I'm on groups and stuff like that. It's like the dudes talking to the dudes. And, yeah. you know, like when it comes to the, sort of the really expensive luxury items, I feel like they keep it a very closed network. Got it. I mean, and I think that's the same across all industries, right? If you really go up to the top, I mean, you guys really promote entrepreneurship. You know, there's like a ceiling at some mm-hmm. point, right? So that's the part that bothers me that I'm trying to change. Yeah, you know? that's a really good point. I think in a lot of industries and, you know, probably all industries, it's pretty much male dominated, you know, and yeah, that's something we want to change within AHN too. Um, but I'm, I'm very curious. So I have a two part question for you. Um, I know that a lot of people might say, you know, the jewelry business is saturated and I'm not sure if people have told you that, but you know, I'm very curious to know what your response is to that and how you deal with competition. Cause there's so much competition in the jewelry business. Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's kind of like saying the restaurant business is saturated too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, why yeah, are there? Enough. One more. <laughs> 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 no, because it's like, 
okay, there's always that hole in the wall with the auntie who's like yeah. not very, not very warm and friendly, but you're like, wow, her food's really good. So you're like, I'll go to her, right? And then there's the other restaurant that's like, okay, it's a special occasion place and you want to go there. So I think there's, um, as they say, different strokes for different folks, right? I mean, at the end of the day, I think what I like the most about the jewelry industry is that it really is a very trust-based personal uh, business, right? So if, if Brian were to buy a ring, I, I think that because that moment is such an important milestone in his life, mm-hmm. um, ideally he would want to work with someone that he likes and trusts. Right. And that goes, it's, I guess it's similar to real estate too. It's like, why do you work with one real estate agent versus another real estate agent? It's part of it is, is the dynamic, like how much that person cares about you as a long-term you know, friend and a client, right? I, a lot of my clients have just straight up become my friends because I really care about their love story. I always joke with people that I can't make your ring until I know your story because people come to me with a transactional question. And my question back is always, well, like they'll say, for example, I want a round diamond. I just got this today. I want a round diamond, 0.8 carats. I want a D color VVS one. And then my question is like, why? Yeah. Right. Like, because because I can tell he probably read it on a blog somewhere. That's the best color. That's the best clarity. And in my head, I think a lot about like, giving my clients the best value. So I'll tell them that's you're overpaying for something, for example. Right. I have clients who buy flawless diamonds and they buy it because, you know, for, for their own personal reasons, maybe for prestige, but they make that choice. Right. But my job is to help them understand their options. So that's I mean that's how I operate but when it comes to like how saturated it is I think they're just different types I think Maggie you've walked into jewelry stores right so if you walk into you know a b c d e all of them will feel different to you mm-hmm. right exactly you know um and so I I, I think I look at competition I don't really think about competition to be honest I really just think about making clients happy yeah that's how I view it you know if, if I make you happy then I'm happy and that's why I started this too actually help people because the guys are super stressed you know and and i always joke my second job is I, i'm a couples therapist because you know, <laughs> um, because guys are stressed and then sometimes women can't be honest with them so i'm like the in between like, okay you be honest with me and i will help you <laughs> you know yeah. so i love that i love that mindset and i love how you are you know doing more to hone into you know the relationship between you know the two people who are getting married and to, for you to ask them, you know, what their story is just goes to show that you care a lot about the process. You know, it's not just, you know, going into work and making money, but it's about the process, it's about learning about your customers. It's about, you know, really going into, you know, their lives and learning more about themselves. So love that. Definitely. I'm a, I'm a little bit curious about like the logistic part too. What kind of early mistakes did you make in your business and how'd you overcome them? Mm-hmm. Well, my early mistake, and this is why I tell people now I have no inventory. I think my early mistake was I used to guess what people want. You know, I, I started out like spending like thousands of dollars of my own money going, oh, I think this is a necklace that people would like. And then I would buy it. And then I would try to sort of push it on social media. I'd be like, no one wants to buy it, you know? So whatever I thought people wanted is not what they want. So that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, I've, I've made that mistake of trying to do that. And then I realized I don't like this. I like helping people discover what they want you know so I think that's the one of the things that I look back going wow that was I mean I guess I had to do it to learn the lesson you know yeah mm-hmm. yeah 
I think that's that's really um, on point because every time I go to a jewelry store, you know, the first thing that they say is like, this one is the newest in our store, right? Or this mm -hmm. one is the hottest in the market, right? And it's like, how do you know that that is something that, that I would like, right? Yeah. yeah. Also curious too, in terms of the marketing, like how do you usually budget and spend your marketing dollars for your online business? Do you like focus more on like Instagram ads, Facebook ads, any other ads or or is everything by, is by word of mouth? So for a long time, it was all word of mouth. I think when you make people that happy, then they just tell everybody, right? Um, and it's always nice to work with friends of friends. Nowadays, I think because I've gotten like good Google reviews, I get a lot of organic reach that way. Um, mm -hmm. But more recently, I started uh, working on doing more Instagram ads, but I do more education-based ads, right? I'm not selling product as much as I am saying, hey, spend an hour and a half with me and let me give you my insider secrets. So that is the thing that I think has really worked for me. And again, it's part of my personality. I don't like pushing product in that sense or trying to compete on that level. I really believe in education. So my marketing is very uh, focused on informing people, teaching them things. Like if you follow me on Instagram, a lot of my posts are helping you understand, oh, what's the history behind the Emerald Cut? What, like, what kind of personality is going to like this particular design? Mm -hmm. um, what are some behind the scenes in the industry that people don't really show you, right? Because most jewelry companies like, buy this. Like, like Maggie said, this is the newest thing or this is... Mm -hmm. $99, like buy this. And I'm just more like trying to help you see the work and the love that goes into it. I think that's the part for me that people don't get to appreciate as much because I love diamonds and gemstones. I love the process. The craftsmanship of it is amazing, right? You're actually working with precious metals. It, it's, it's a, you know, it's something that's taken like hundreds of years to like cut a diamond, for example. So I feel a sense of responsibility to educate people. And I think all my marketing right now is really driven towards that, like the educational side and come and spend time with me and you know, mm -hmm. learn something. And then if you want to make a ring, great. And then if not, at least you're more educated. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I love that yeah. too. What is your entrepreneurial journey like? You know, you make it sound so rosy. I'm pretty sure there's like <laughs> ups and downs and there's a lot of hardship that goes into entrepreneurship. I want to make yeah. sure that we highlight those points too. Yeah, I think in general, it's a very lonely experience. I'm sure all entrepreneurs will tell you like, like, you know, um, even to this day, actually, my Instagram, I mean, I run it, I read all the comments, I post it's, it's a it's a 24 hour job, right? Replying to people. Um, but for me, I want to be very hands on because everybody who follows me, I, I actually read your stuff, you know, I actually follow you. I actually know who you are. Um, so I think that part of it is is, is a lot of work, right? It's, it's lonely, it's a lot of work. Sometimes I wish I had like, you know, um, I guess that's why you guys have each other, right? That's the, the beauty of having <laughs> a co-founder. all the time. <laughs> but that aspect of it is hard because I wish I could multiply myself. That is the, that's the difficulty, right? On one hand, I have to manage my social media and then um, because I'm the person who is certified in diamonds and colored gemstones, I, I have to be the person educating you. Like when you get on the phone with me, that's yeah. people are essentially choosing August Bespoke because of me. So mm -hmm. that there's a lot of responsibility in that. And I take that very seriously. So that's, you know, that's hard, right? I'm like one person and I work across different time zones. I have clients everywhere. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to scale myself is the current, you know, the current, uh, challenge. <laughs>
That's amazing. Yeah, we've seen your Instagram and I, I saw that you have master classes. So I just want to commend you for that because we host virtual events as well. And a that's a lot of work, you know, just mm -hmm. taking yeah. the time to have that event and just preparing for it, making sure you have all your content ready. Um, it's a lot of work. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So would love to know, you know, we, what is one advice you can give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Um, I would say focus on making your customers happy, mm -hmm. like whatever business you're in. I, I feel like money, I know people talk about metrics a lot, right? But I think, I think a lot about customer happiness, how to make, how to really go above and beyond. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And really surprise them. And I, and I feel like if that is your focus, the money will come personally. That's how I view it, you know, um, because not, I guess in my experience, even just as a customer, you know, of like hotels or restaurants, it's like most people do the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you're a company that goes like above and beyond, like, I mean, I did this for a friend like yesterday, but like, you know, I, I delivered his ring at like 5 p.m. Mm -hmm. He was going to propose at 7 p.m. In between, wow. I, ran, I ran to the restaurant like um dropped off cards for them like i mean i'm saying they're my friends but i would do this for other people if i could right like i dropped off cards for them and ordered them like her favorite drink so when they showed up and i talked to the restaurant manager so when they showed up and he proposed like you know the cards were there right and this is just because i love it right i want to make people happy that's not it's not really for business at all like it's because they're my friends i care like i you know when i go through i joke about couple therapists but I, I planned this surprise, right, with, with the guy for three weeks. Um, and, you know, he's become my friend, so I care. So that's, that's the thing, I guess, I would say, you know, to entrepreneurs, whatever business you're in, just care about making your customers happy. Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, love that advice. Well, it was amazing hearing your story, Amanda. We thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you so much again for staying up so late. Yeah. You know. Understand one oh, no, for you're now in Singapore. Yeah, we really appreciate it. <laughs> no, and thank you guys so much for AHN. You know, I actually uh, met like someone really sweet from Australia the other day. We did an Instagram live together. We're gonna do one again. Uh, but but you know, kudos to both of you for creating a community that's like so supportive and you know really tries to build connections amongst us. I hope that um, you know you guys keep keep it up and you know know that we all appreciate it even if you don't hear from us every day <laughs> awesome. yeah of course we appreciate that and we love hearing stories like that too yeah collaborations yeah our whole goal is just to support you know asian-owned businesses and empower and uplift each other mm -hmm. it's just amazing hearing your story and so for our listeners how can they learn more about you um, I think the best way is to follow me on Instagram, guys. It's at, at August, like August, the month of August, Bespoke. Mm -hmm. By the way, if I can just tell the, the, the reason why I called the company August Bespoke is very, Brian and I have the same birthday, so we'll talk about this. So oh, I called wow. it, yeah. yeah, we have August 28th, our birthday. He's wow. got the crazy lucky birthday. He's got the eight. Two eight eight eight, right? <laughs> well, happy early birthday! Oh, thank you. But I was gonna say I have a super like Asian reason for having August Bespoke as my name. But I was born in the month of August, right? Um, and August is the eighth month of the year. So if you rotate the number eight by ninety degrees, you get an infinity sign. Oh yeah, so, yes. yeah. So I always tell people that you know my passion is to help you make memories last forever. So that's where the name comes from. <laughs> it's amazing. I love, it. I love it too. 
Well, it's great yeah. having you on the show today, Amanda. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much, Amanda. Really enjoyed thank it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having me. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.